Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about racing. We're talking about what it looks like to design a racing game, and we're talking to Omar Tarankan from Tarankan Games. Omar, welcome to the show. Gabe, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, really glad to have you. You know, you're a guy that I, I kind of ran into somewhat. I ran into people at your booth at Dice Tower Con. <laughs> you had this really interesting racing game called Safari Turbo that just it just pops off the table. It's got this really cool art style. It looks like you know this really uh, interesting family uh, weight racing game. And I saw it and I was like, man, this this is interesting. This is cool. I want to want to talk to this person about uh, designing one of these things. And so I'm glad you're you're able to come on the show. Oh, I wish I could take credit for the for the board and the art and all that, but I got great people working for me. Yeah, I stepped away uh, for a moment, and then when I came back, it's like, hey, this guy wanted to interview you. He's a really nice guy and all this, and uh, it's just funny how that happened. And then, um, yeah, I was like, who would want to interview me? Like, I've made one game. Like, there's so many more people that you'd probably want to interview, but I'm glad you like the game. Yeah, oh, I, the game is nice to look at, and, and like I said – it's it's one under my belt, but this is more like a childhood dream. So I've I put so much effort into it, and I'm glad you you enjoyed you liked it. Yeah, definitely. And going back to what you're just saying, I want to interview everybody. You know, it's, it's that's one thing I love about the, being able to do the show is I can talk to the top of the top, the best of the best, and I can talk to the people that are just up and coming and, and are kind of unknown so far. And, and and so I I like you know spreading things out and, and doing a little bit of both. Awesome. All right, so I'm excited to, to talk to you about racing games and what it looks like to design one of these. But before we do that, who are you? How'd you get into game design, all that kind of thing? Well, uh, the way I got in, when I was uh, when I was six years old, I, living in Glendale, I had a friend who was actually from Honduras, and uh, his name was Edwin. And uh, we all lived in an apartment building. He calls me over one day. He's all excited, and uh, he shows me this board game that he did. It was literally. Uh, a cutout square on a cardboard, like eight inches by eight inches. And he's showing me like, you know, he drew a little track and he has a die and we're going to move. And I was totally blown away because I was looking at it, not for the game itself, but I was like, wait a minute, I could draw some lines on a piece of paper and I can create my own fun. I was like, what? So, you know, fun to me was like, you needed toys or you needed to be in the park or you needed to do something like that. So I was like blown away and I started uh, doing my own little games and playing it with him. And and the problem back then, uh, when I was six years old, I'm thinking it's like 1972, uh, there isn't that much cardboard and material to go around. <laughs> So um, I would get the cardboard from the boxes of detergent when we would go do laundry. So I would actually uh, get the boxes out of the trash. And my mom would be like, no, I don't want you digging through the trash. But I'm like, mom, I need cardboard so I can make games. And and uh, that was interesting. So now we have uh, materials and computers and so on. But that's how I basically got into it. And then people would come to my house, all these kids that I didn't know to play these different games that I had. And uh, that's basically how that started. Uh, so it was like my childhood dream. I said, oh, I'm going to have a board game company one day. I'm going to make a game. But, um, you know, it got kind of left behind. Real life takes over. You grew up and so on. But my mother, she used to uh, see that this is what I liked. So she started playing games with me, Parcheesi, uh, Chinese checkers, things like that. And my aunt, who was in New York, she used to send me uh, supplies like pens and markers. And so I had the whole family um, behind me doing this. But that's basically how I got started. Yeah, very cool. Now, it's kind of funny. You, you mentioned digging through the trash. I saw a post earlier today and it said, you you might, it's like, you know, you're a, a game designer if you do blank. And one of the <laughs> things was that somebody commented was, if you dig through the trash for prototype components. <laughs> so, well, so there I you think, go. I was doing that at six. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's just a natural thing as a game designer. You, you're always on the lookout for like what could be a cool component, what you could turn into something else. It's just kind of how our brains work. And it's funny when you start talking to other people and you realize that we all have these very interesting similarities as far as, cre- as, far as creativity and whatnot. Oh yeah, it's that saying that if you want something bad enough, you know, you'll find a way to get it. So I remember, yeah. I remember actually sitting on my bed, uh, six years old, thinking, "Where did where's where did he get that cardboard? How do I get cardboard? You know, uh, I have paper, but it's not the same thing." And and it just like I, I'm going around the house looking for stuff, and I'm like, "Ah, detergent." You know, it used to come in boxes. So all my games smelled like detergent, by the way. <laughs> so yeah you should have just created a a detergent themed game and then it's a, a feature not a bug exactly you know? <laughs> so. absolutely well cool man let's start let's start talking about racing games before we get into it what is a good like working definition like what, what exactly is a racing game i think you have to have uh, some kind of progression uh you have to actually fix physically see let's say it could be a, a car racing game or maybe your pawn would be a uh, a little person, a little meeple or something, your, your pawn has to show progression, has to move from once, you know, it's, it's here now, but now it's, it's getting closer. There has to be some kind of finish line. Um, now the way you move it, um, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be a roll and move. It could be a, maybe cards or combination of something or things that you are achieving to move your pawn. But I think there has to be some kind of progression um, in a racing game. There has to be um, a finish line, uh, something that ends the game. Um, yeah, that's 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 what I'm thinking here. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think, you know, a lot of racing games, the game ends when somebody wins, not like at the end of a certain number of rounds. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a lot of games, all right, we're going to play 10 rounds and there's four phases and then at the end of 10 rounds, four phases, the game's over. Well, the racing game, like you're saying, you progress and eventually there's some kind of finish line of some point. Now, there's some some racing games where you're just trying to complete a certain number of objectives. It's not like a, a track, right. right? It's just it's just you're you're racing to be the first one to finish and then we'll count up points or, you know, whoever go across the finish line first wins automatically or whatever it is. And so it's interesting. There's a lot of racing games, I feel like, that aren't cars, that aren't camels, that are that are just racing to uh, accomplish a goal. But, yeah, progressing, progressing towards that goal and being the first one there, I, I think, is a, a good way to look at it. Now – there's a lot of these games out there. Oh yeah, you know, Formula Dave is one, one of my favorite games. Oh, yeah. uh, Scythe, in a lot of ways, is a racing game because you're racing to be the first to right. complete a certain number, number of objectives, things like that. Um, so, why do you think people are drawn to these games? What is it about them that just kind of gets people going? I think people are drawn to these games because um, they're exciting. Uh, you have uh, different vehicles or different people uh, moving, and there's this there's this uh, level of stress where. Oh, he's ahead of me, and he's getting closer to the finish line. So I have to do something now. Uh, that kind of thing. So I think, I mean, I enjoy that little stress. Or maybe I'm in, I'm in the lead, and he's catching up. So I see that happening in a racing game. In other games, I might not see it that clearly. So I like the simplicity of it, and especially like the the end where the first one to cross the finish line, the game's over. Yeah, that's a really good point as far as tension. You know, in a lot of games, you're, you're sitting there and you're, you've got maybe hidden victory points or hidden objectives, different things going on. And so you're like, well, I think I might be winning, but they might also be winning or I might be in last place. I don't really know. We'll see when we count it up at the end. In a racing game, it's like, no, I'm losing right now because that other person is ahead of me. Right. There could still be hidden points or uh, hidden yeah. powers or something. But the finality of it is when the person crosses, uh, that's all gone. So. In a racing game, I feel that you have to use all of your hidden talents or everything before that person crosses. So, yeah, you, you get to see who's in front, uh, and, and that creates the stress. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what good tension, you know, for that to have, even if you're in the lead and you're trying to, to not get overtaken and somebody you start playing a little safer <laughs> and then that lets somebody else catch up or whatever it is. Or if, you know, we, we mentioned kind of before recording, um, pandemic, you know, it's a co-op, but at the same time, you're racing against the diseases. You're racing against right. that that virus deck basically and trying to to beat the clock so to speak and so you're, you're racing in that game as well and so there's a lot of interesting um, moments of tension moments of like i don't know what's going to happen uh, in racing games i think that's one of the main main draws oh i think so too now what are some of your favorites like when you were designing your own game uh did you did you play a bunch of racing games and you know trying to get inspiration or trying to figure them out or like what are some of your like go-tos as far as racing yeah this game came from uh the idea uh, there was this cartoon that I used to watch called Wacky Races growing up, um, and it basically was 
these races and these cartoon characters would be in different cars and every car had like these gadgets and that kind of thing. So that's where the idea came from. Uh, as far as myself, um, I've played uh, different racing games and so on, and, and I own several of them, but I wanted to do something different. Um, the games that I've played are more like a Formula D and things like that, which are pure racing, and that's fine. That's awesome. But I wanted more like an adventure. I wanted to create an adventure, but at the same time, I want it to be a race. So it's a combination. So it's like, you you know, you play a character and uh, you might have to collect things. Or you have different powers and so on. So that's that's kind of like what I wanted to do. But um, it kind of stemmed from those wacky races uh, cartoons that I started watching when I was a little kid. Yeah, gotcha. And I've I've seen I've seen that show, uh, and it's interesting uh, place to start from, especially because you got the different cars, you got the different characters, you got different things going on, and every episode was just kind of a, a chaotic, goofy thing that's going on. And, and to translate that into a game, it's it's a really cool uh, idea. And it actually, your game reminds me in some ways of Fireball Island, where yeah. it's also a race, and you're kind of going around the board, right? But you also have in the new version, at least, you have these new. Uh, objectives you have to complete as far as taking pictures and picking up different items and things like that and then trying to get back to the helicopter it's it's a race and so it's it's just cool to see kind of these old school ideas coming back around in new school ways oh yeah i love fireball island i have both of them the the old version and the new one and uh, it's it's exactly that and then when i was uh develop you know coming up with uh different thing, the design of the game uh with the rec- I started with the wacky races, and then I'm like, okay, well, every every character, every every car has a little gadget. So it started like that. But then I'm like, wait a minute, uh, how about the people having gadgets or powers? Or and then that extended that way. And then you start designing, and you come up with things that are a lot of fun. Like this character does this. Oh, that's really cool. Um, but I have other characters. What if we never pick that character? That one character that's super cool. Um, doesn't get picked uh, in the choices. Well, why don't we do a group of those characters that does this? And then that started the idea of having different groups of characters. I have uh, actually 20 groups of characters in the game. Now, the game comes with five groups, but but there's expansions coming and so on. But um, yeah, it starts with a simple idea, and then it starts growing and developing, and it's kind of like morphing into into this other thing that, that's a lot... That's a lot better. Well, that, that comes with playtesting and so on. Yeah, definitely. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the asymmetrical abilities and whatnot. Like in your, your designing and testing process, tell me about having, you know, being able to balance these different uh, factions or not necessarily factions, but different drivers and things like that. Yeah, well, that, um, of course, it comes from, you know, playtesting and the opinions of others and so on. But it's interesting because uh, let's this actually happened. I was playing with a group of uh playtesters and i was actually playing this one uh because this is like my group and i was playing a character called uh hui which is a little robot and he he puts he he puts a robot on your vehicle and the robot you know starts pulling your vehicle backwards and all this stuff anyways uh i won that game and i remember when i won uh the other three players were like wow this your character is too strong it's just way too strong um you know all these things. And then I started explaining to them that, well, I won for several reasons. You know, I was doing this and I was successful. You guys were doing this and you weren't. And then we went back and forth and so on. The next day, I was actually at a game store playing a blind test. It was a blind play test. It was four people that I've never met and they played it and I was just observing. And after that game, the person that was playing this character, the character of the little robot, everybody agreed that he was too weak. <laughs> the complete opposite of what they, you know, the other group said before. And I was telling them, guys, you're not going to believe this, but I just played this yesterday. And the group was saying he's too powerful. No, he's too weak uh, because this and that. So you take the opinions of play testers and other people, but it ultimately comes down really to you. You know, you have to really, it depends how much time you put on it, uh, uh, staring at the characters, thinking about the characters, people that know me, I've been doing this for years and I just released the game now because it's this. I don't see this as a product. This is more like my childhood dream. So it's got to be super perfect. And even my graphic designer was like, we've been doing this for years. Like, when are you going to release the game? It's awesome now. No, I'm not quite sure. I'm still going back through with, with the five characters and are they balanced? And 
you know, this one does this, this he's too powerful. It all comes down really to your opinion and what you, you think. The, like I said, I have 20 groups. So how do you balance that? Some, some uh, characters, you know, they attack others. So if you're being attacked by a character and your character doesn't have any attack ability, you might think, oh, that character is too strong. Yeah, but what is it that you have? Maybe you are in the coin group. And when you get to the trading post, you're going to get like 10 more items than that character had. So you have to balance it, not necessarily in, well, this one can attack. Can this one defend? Not necessarily that way. You have to see what your game offers and, and try to balance everything as, as best you can. But you really have to put time in it. And sometimes you get too involved in the game and you have to step away. I've had to sometimes uh, people from my group, they'll, they'll call me and they'll say, uh, so what do you think of this? And I'm like, you know, right now, I don't really want to think about Safari Turbo. I've been thinking about it like for months and I've, I'm too immersed. Let me step away. So I'll step away for like a couple of weeks or whatever. And then when I'm, I'm back, I'm like, wow, I didn't see this. This is really cool. So balancing the characters and asymmetrical powers and all that, you have to, it's get other people's opinion, but it really depends on you. And you, you really have to just say, is the character fun? And what's the worst that can happen? You do have one character that might be more powerful, powerful than another. Um, well, next time the other person plays that character or something like that, you know, but it's, it all depends on you, Gabe. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, as a designer, you just kind of have to go with your gut eventually and say, you know, this is kind of what I feel. And, and balance is all relative anyway. Like you're saying, some groups are going to say, oh, this is too strong. Some are going to say this is too weak. And so you're just trying to find something there that is at least perceived as balance because nothing's ever going to be totally balanced. I mean, I guess you, you could work in a game for 10 years and get it to be 100%. Everything's totally, completely balanced, but it's probably not going to be fun anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. And one thing I want to say, um, if you have a game that you have characters or you're planning on doing a lot more characters in the future, like like I have, try to look at as many characters as possible. Like, don't just look at the ones that come with the game. Like, I have five characters, like I said, that come with the game, but I have a whole bunch of other characters. So I would go ahead and look at the other characters. And what would happen is these other characters that I have planned are really cool, but then hold on, how do they rate with the five that are in the game? Well, the five that are in the game are now seem kind of weak. So you, you got to make sure and look at the whole spectrum. If, if you plan on making, let's say you say, oh, I'm going to make uh, 30 characters and I'm going to put five of them in the game and I'm going to release the other 25 later. Look at all 30 and try to do that whole balance as best you can because you don't want more powerful characters coming in or someone that's too weak or, you know, so I play future characters with these characters i had to uh ramp up abilities of the five that are here because of the other characters and well because of other things too because of illustration and so on but if you're going to balance make sure you balance all the characters uh not just the ones that are coming with the game yeah that's a really good point the, the whole problem of power creep that happens whenever you do have expansions because a lot of times you, you'll have the game it'll come out and then you have some really cool new ideas that maybe make some of the original characters obsolete or yeah I, I think that also happens because uh they you know the companies want to sell the expansion so now it's like i know you like the game the core game but now you're going to get this which is a lot better well you can't really do why didn't you give me the a lot better in the core also you know uh yeah balance everything across the board that way you don't have well, it's a better character. Well, I have a lot of interesting characters coming, but you, you have to balance across the board. Yeah, and like you were saying just a moment ago, coming back at it with fresh eyes can be really helpful. You know, just putting a game on a shelf for a while, and this is why, you know, I recommend people work on multiple games at the same time. So that way when you kind of get stuck on one or you kind of get to a, a block on, on, on one, you can go to another one and just kind of work on it and maybe get unstuck for the original one. And this is also something I found really helpful uh, lately with some, some blind play testers and, and they can look at things with fresh eyes. So we're going to a solo game where you're like this action hero trying to defeat the terrorists and save your wife and you know, that kind of thing. And I, there's a card and there's the hostage cards. You're trying to save hostages. And what I wanted was for the mechanism to basically be, if you've got these hostages, you're trying to save, but then the terrorist kill them instead of you. And so cool. like, instead of, yeah, instead of you losing health, they do. But the way the mechanism worked, you would discard their card 
instead of taking damage. So it kind of felt like you were pushing the hostage in, in the way of the bullet, which is not exactly super heroic. And so the way the card worked was what I wanted, but the way it was worded, you know, and I didn't I didn't recognize that until I had some Bond playtesters go, wow, this this seems like I just pushed that guy in front of a bullet. And that, that seems kind of wrong. And I was like, oh, you're right. And so I had to reword it and change the way it game, you know, the mechanism stayed the same, but the way it, it works out kind of played differently. And it's just having people with fresh eyes to, to show you that kind of yes. thing. Yes. And if you're if you're super immersed in it all the time, you're not going to get that. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. So let's uh, let's keep talking about balance and whatnot. So most racing games have some level of take that right where where somebody's doing well, and then you play a card or you do something that kind of pulls them back a little bit. Uh, either even in like games like Formula D, where where you're just a straight racing game, where you can still block people, you can still do certain things to kind of cut them off so they can't take their full turn. Like there's a lot of take that in these games. Right. So how do you kind of balance the take that? And also make sure it's fun. So if somebody doesn't feel like they're just being piled on, you know, where they don't just kind of get taken out of the game. Yeah, I feel that um, it, unless you're making some kind of uh, attack racing game where everything's pretty much take that, you shouldn't have that much take that. The way I balance it is I do have I do have take that with several groups, especially uh, I have a military group and they're pretty much about take that. Um, there are, let me see, there's three of the five characters that I have ha- uh, in the game, have the ability to to attack others. The way I balance it is, I don't make it. It's not an automatic attack. I, it, it's not easy to attack others. You have to do something or be in a certain position or act. You know, activate your token. Like for example, I have a I have a character, uh, the teleporter. She can place a teleport token on your vehicle, and it will teleport you back ten spaces. Now. That seems like a lot, but it's not automatic. She has to activate her token on her turn. On her turn, the token has different numbers on it. You have to roll the number that's on the token, and if you don't, you just simply lose it. So half the time, it doesn't work. Uh, another character, like I said, the the little robot. So the little robot, uh, this this opponent places the little robot on you, but it's easy to take the little robot off of you. Nothing happens to you until it's your turn. You need to move an odd number of spaces to get this robot that's holding onto your vehicle off of you. So right off the bat, uh, because you're rolling a D6, so right off the bat, half the die is on, you know, in, on, in your favor for rolling an odd number. Not only that, but you have cards that you can play. You have a plus one card, which adds one more to your result. So if you roll an even number, you can say, I'm going to, spend a plus one card, and now I have an odd number, and I got rid of this little robot. You have a card that's called a third gear card, which simply says that you move exactly three spaces instead of rolling. So that's an odd number right there. Uh, Of course, you got do-over cards. You also have like binoculars that that help you. You you roll an extra time. So it's not when when they do take that in the Safari Turbo, uh, they have to activate it or be in position. I have uh, the third character would be the lion. Um, this is a, a character that has the spirit of the lion in him. He can do this super roar, which goes forward from your from the vehicle, and he can knock people out. Well, he's got to be in position. It's not an automatic take that. He's got to be in the right position, close enough to his opponents, and the opponent's got to be in front of his vehicle. And even uh, after these three characters that I mentioned, everybody defending still has one chance to evade or roll a six one time, roll a six. So you have one in six chance. Believe it or not, it happens a lot more frequent than you might think. But the way I, I, I try to balance take that is not making it that easy for the attacker. Because then it's just, you know, you're just uh, attacking everybody and the game loses its its flavor. That was one that was one of the design challenges in the beginning. Like, uh, it's too much attack. Uh, the focus has to be on the racing and the progression and, and making it fun. So... Yeah, that's that's pretty much how I balance it. I don't make it that easy for the, for the attacker to attack somebody else. Now, if it's cool because when they do, when it does work, then it's kind of like they deserved it. I mean, they activated their token, you know, they got into position, they did all these things, and it worked. So it's more of ah, oh, I've accomplished these things. It worked. Awesome. So yeah, I, I don't make it that easy for the attackers. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like how you kind of have to strategize to be able to do the take that things. It's not just I play a card. Now you go back five spaces. It's no, I have to be in position. I have to do this. I have to do that. And then I get the opportunity and hopefully the die is in my favor and then it works out. I think that's a much better way way to do it. Yeah, um, I enjoy it better like that. I, I just don't want to simply put a token on, on you 
and that's it. You know, you have to go back 10 spaces. I mean, I think that's just too easy. I mean, you're going to be like, hey, I want to be that character next time. You know, it's just too easy. Uh, and you feel a you know sense of accomplishment. There is strategy. There's cards that you can play. And, and uh, sometimes uh, people, the characters have a defense mechanism. Where, like I just said, everybody gets a chance to evade, roll one time. Well, the military characters have, uh, some of them have camouflage tokens, which allow them to roll four times instead of once when they're evading, things like that. So, um, no, it just, it can't be that easy to just attack somebody else. It, it would ruin the flavor of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's the what's the average play time for your game? It's about 30 minutes per player. Um, it's a two to five player game. Of course, with the people that know how to play, that we've played it so many times, uh, we've played it so much shorter. Uh, I play with um, Mitzi, who's uh, my main uh, muse, who helps me out. And we play a two-player game in about 40 minutes because, you know, it's like boom, boom, boom. We know what every character does, and um, it, we don't get stuck uh in certain areas because we know what to do. Uh, the land itself is a complete character in itself. You know, uh, you have to cross the rickety bridge and people get stuck there uh, because it's their first time playing. So let me say this, since uh, we started talking about that, the first uh, time you play Safari Turbo is probably gonna be your most difficult time. I don't mean you're not gonna have fun, but it'll probably be your most difficult time because you don't know what happens where. Because different things happen at different areas of the land. And you don't know how, like the rickety bridge, you don't know how difficult it's going to be to cross that. Uh, you see it there. You see the volcano. Hmm, that looks difficult. I think I should hold back some cards. I think this and that. But eventually, you're going to get stuck in a, an area or two. So the second time you play Safari Turbo, ah, uh, it's like your, your eyes are open. You know what to do. You know that, that rickety bridge, I got stuck there for like three turns. I'm going to hold these cards to make it easy to cross. I'm going to do this over there instead of spending it over here. So yeah, like you said, it's a lot of strategy. But um, the second time you play is, uh, is going to be much more awesome than the first time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting to have the board be a character unto itself, right? And kind of going back to Fireball Island and, and Volcor and Volcar, yes. whatever his name is, you know, and that that kind of uh, old school idea and bringing it bringing it back where the board is out to get you as well, you know, not just the other players. But uh, going back to playtime, I think you know when you have a lot of take that, you, you got to be aware of how long the game lasts, or you have a lot of random di dice rolling. You got to be aware of how much uh, time players are spending because the longer it last and the more random stuff you have in there uh, the more it can be not quite as, as satisfying and so like you're saying if you can play a two-player game 30 minutes 40 minutes something like that that's gonna be a lot better than playing a two-player game full of a lot of randomness and, and chaos chaos that takes two hours and so it's just uh, something to think about as you're designing it yeah you know you just reminded me of um when um i was at the booth and uh some people wanted to play test the game but they said you know we don't have that much time we just want to try it out. Safari Turbo, and I and I and I let them. I said, sure, we had the game there, you know, sure, have a seat. Safari Turbo is not a game that you can really just like try out, because like I said, there's different things that happen at different areas. Unless you play the whole thing, then you'll know what the game's about. Because, like for example, you collect coins. Well, you don't spend those coins until you get to the trading post. So. And who knows what you're going to buy at the trading post. Um, there's different areas that slow you down, but there's different areas that also help you, like the sundial, uh, which powers up. You know, everyone has a dashboard with uh, three dials on them. Um, and one one dial is for your the health of your character. The other one is for the condition of your car. And the other one is like binoculars, which means that you can roll two times instead of, you know, and pick a, one result and things like that. But if you don't go through the whole game... So I had these... Uh, Three people come in to, you know, to try out the game and they're like, yeah, we only got maybe 20 minutes or something. So they sat down and they played it. And after they played it, they go, um, I don't like that there's too much take that in it. And like I explained to them, I said, well, this is the thing. First of all, you guys play, there's three characters that do take that and you played all three. So, and since you knew you were going to leave in about 20 minutes, you used up all your tokens, like all your you guys knew you were leaving in 20 minutes. So, hey, if I'm leaving in 20 minutes, I'm going to use everything up, you know. So in a real game, you wouldn't do that. You have some take 
that tokens that you could attack other people, but you hold on to them because it's a long, you know, you got to, it's a long game. You have to get through the whole thing. But if I know I'm leaving in 20 minutes. So you reminded me of that. Um, they left with a bad impression. And, uh, but yeah, I wish people would play the entire game and play it twice and then tell me what you think. That would be awesome. Um, but you reminded me of that instant because of co- it's, it's a lot of take that if you're only playing 20 minutes and everyone's going to be fully attacking each other. So it was like, I wish they would have played the whole thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I wonder if there's also value, not necessarily in your game, just games in general, racing games in general, if there's value in having, here's the the long game, you know, here's the big track and you flip the board over, here's the here's the short track. You know, if you only got 30 minutes to play, do this one. If you have an hour plus, do this, the bigger one. There's almost, there almost might be some value in, in just kind of exploring that. Yeah, I think there is. You know, um, I I have three levels of play. You, you don't have to play with the characters. Uh, level one would be the beginning beginning level, which you play without the characters, which is still a lot of fun. Um, you know, I recommend that for for little kids or or people that don't want to play characters or maybe they're too complicated. And then the normal game, the intermediate level would be the playing with a character, and then the advanced level would be playing with more than one character. You play. Uh, a group of characters, a team of characters. So, but uh, you could play the the beginner level if if you don't like playing with characters, or maybe you don't like too much take that or or something like that. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's uh, let's talk about some more of your design challenges. What were some of the other issues you ran into during the uh, design process? During the design process, let's see. Originally, the game was a lot longer. Believe it or not. Um, I'm the kind of person that don't mind playing a very long game. So the game itself had so many more spaces. So, of course, after playtesting and everything, you know, you do hear your playtesters. The game's too long and so on. So uh, it was a challenge cutting spaces. Because when you cut spaces, the things you had on those spaces are gone. And kind of like the flow of the game changes. So cutting the spaces was uh, one of the challenges. Um, other challenges would be like, uh, I remember we have two pit stops. So like I said, you have a health meter and a damage meter, which is the condition of your vehicle. So the cha- one of the challenges was it was too easy before the first pit stop. So the first pit stop is maybe one third into the game. And the second pit stop is like the last one third, two thirds. So everyone would get to the first pit stop and no one would go in because nobody got hurt. So how much traps, how many challenges do you put for the players to make them think of going in the pit stop? Now is a perfect balance. Now, by the time you get to the pit stop, you usually have, you're hurt a little bit. So that's another strategy. Do I go in, waste some time at the pit stop and fully power up? Or do I keep going? Uh, and maybe I might make it to the second pit stop. So that was one of the challenges, challenges trying to get that balance in there. Uh, another challenge would be some, uh, I remember, if you have a roll and move game and you're just rolling and moving and nothing else happens, like you have no control, then the game is kind of like playing itself. You have to have some kind of control in the game. So... Uh, what I did was I created the, the game cards, which give you some control. Like I've mentioned before, you have a plus one card, a third gear card. You have some do-overs, a go again. Um, you have uh, a checkered flag card. Two checkered flag cards turns into a super turbo, which allows you to roll five times. It's different things. You have to ha- have some kind of control. And then that's where the characters started developing. Well, what if I can do this with my character? Well, let's let's create characters. Let's let's give them more control. There came a point where you, as the designer, has to balance: is this game too complicated, um, or is it too easy? First, I uh, when I first designed the game, I went crazy, and the game was like too complicated, uh, too many powers, too many uh, decision making uh, cards, too too much control. Uh, I know people want control, but if you have too much control, you're never going to land on any of the challenges, any of the traps, uh, things that, any of the obstacles. Like, for example, I started thinking, because during the game, you roll 1d6. Well, that might be kind of boring. So I started thinking, well, how about 
you roll two dice and you get to pick one or the other. Well, if you do that, you have too much control. You're, you're not never going to land on anything. If you don't land on something that's going to hurt you, then you're never going to go into pit stop. Then why are we having a dashboard with, you know, how much your strength is? It's just the game is way too easy if you have too much control. So I had to scale back and think, okay, let me take some of the control away uh, because I do want uh, uh, some luck in there. And that's where the, the rolling of the die, which you don't have control over. But you want control with some luck. That That's what I wanted. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a really interesting design challenge to run into. It also, another thing to think about, if you give a player two dice to roll and then they choose one, you have massively increased the amount of time it takes to do a turn because they're going to look at, they have to you know roll the two dice and they go, okay, yeah. if I go three spaces, oh, I don't know if I want to, oh, I could go five, oh, I don't know, hmm. And they're having to, all of a sudden it's stretching out how long their turn is going to take. And so if you're trying to limit the length of a turn, then you're, you're giving them too many choices. And so that's a really interesting uh, way to look at it. You know, also, Gabe, when I was growing up, uh, I used to play a lot of chess, and it got to the point where I was good at it. Uh, but I started not liking the game when I ran into people that I couldn't beat. Because you have full control of chess, pretty much, except, you know, uh, what your character, what your opponent's doing. But you have a lot, you have a lot of control. Uh, you're not rolling a die. So I started thinking, I don't like playing with people that are too difficult. But then at the same token, I, I don't like playing with people that I know I'm going to win. So I had to find this perfect balance in the middle. And there was no, there was nothing to scare me in chess. Like th there was no stress. I can play Safari Turbo and I, and I'm the designer and I can play with somebody brand new. And there's a decent chance that that person's going to win. And that's the perfect balance I wanted. I want the, I want the stress of, this person's winning. I can't believe it, you know, and, and that's so much fun to me. Uh, I do have an advantage because I played the game a lot more times than they did. But because of the luck involved in the game and you don't have full control, that there's that element of anybody could win. And that's that's what I wanted. So it's a lot more fun when there's this level of, hey, don't count this person out just because they've never played before. Yeah, and luck can be a great equalizer in that way, right? If, if you've played the game a whole bunch, you've got new oh, people yeah. coming in, luck can, can balance the uh, the table, so to speak, and that's a, that's a cool way to do it. Any other design challenges or challenges in in any other part of the process? I remember um, just the overall flow of the game. You know, you want you want a good flow. Like when, when you play Safari Turbo, it starts out kind of like people start spreading out. There isn't a lot of attack because the game just started. Nobody usually attacks other people or does, you know, starts using up their stuff right away. You want to hold on to it and so on. So a design challenge I used to have is everybody would hold on to all their stuff. Okay. So until somebody's winning way at the end, now everybody wants to throw out all their abilities and do everything. And the game doesn't have a good flow like that. The game is what it was, was it was pretty much boring all the way to the end. And then at the end, it became this massive, you know, attack. I'm going to attack you. I'm going to move you back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And the flow was not good. So I had to start thinking, how do I get opponents? Uh, how do I get people playing to spend their tokens like fairly early? Why, you know, because by the end, now you have like five tokens, five, uh, he's going to attack you five times. This other person's going to attack you three times, all that because you're winning. So how do I get people to spend their stuff and, and enjoy the game in between? So the way I did that was I let you uh, get your token back if certain things happen in the game or certain spaces. So now, like, for example, I mentioned the teleporter. So the teleporter puts a teleport token on your vehicle and she gets to teleport you back 10 spaces. Of course, she has to activate it and so on. So the teleporter, the way it was before was she would hold on to these four tokens and then just attack the person in the lead like four times. And that wasn't fun for nobody. But now she gets to recover a teleport token. She doesn't get an extra one. She has to she recovers what she spends. So she has to spend one early. So she lands on compass spaces and she recovers teleport tokens. So that gives you an incentive to use them, you know, early. Don't wait till the end. So I had to go back through all the characters and say, uh, how can I make this person give them an incentive to, to spend their tokens 
earlier and not to hoard them up and hold on to everything till the end. You could still do that, but if you think I have a decent chance of recovering them back, I'm going to do this now. That way I can recover them back and basically use the same token twice. So that was one of the challenges I had to do. It, it's all about the flow of the game. You have to you have to be honest with yourself um, and say, is this fun? Is there too much attack? Is, what's going on here? Oh, it's basically boring until the end. Then everybody gangs up on the person winning. Oh, no, that's got to change. How can I change it? That was one of that was. Uh, one of the main challenges I had. Um, another challenge now that came to mind is like we talked about the land, the board itself. You don't want the same mechanic, like you know, in different in the in different parts of the board. You want to vary it, but not too much where it's a totally different game. Like you have a steep hill, so on the steep hill, when you're on the steep hill, you have to roll the low speed die because gravity is affecting you. Uh, well, you don't want to do that again somewhere else. So, you know rickety bridge you do something different and the volcano you do so this challenge of doing something that's fun and coming up with a different way to do it so that's that was pretty challenging because uh at that time i remember everything was happening with the characters and all that that's one of those moments i had to like step away for like a few weeks like and when i came back like everything came to me like oh the volcano is going to have its own dice and you have to have a combination. You can pick one of three combinations, uh, things to do. So when you come back from this little hiatus, sometimes it's like all these ideas come to you. Yeah, and you bring up a great point as far as incentives, right? If you're trying to get players to do certain things, then you need to incentivize that behavior through the gameplay, right? You want to make sure you're pushing them or guiding them towards the playing the game the, the way you kind of mean for it to. And so it's just something else to think about as a, as a designer. Yeah, you know, I was going to say right now um, I'm working on – our first expansion, our next five characters. Now that you talk about design challenge and I'm having a big uh, issue because everyone has a profile card of their character, which is, is an actual uh, large token kind of thing. And it's a certain size. I can't change the size because it's already in the core game. So I'm working with the manufacturer because to reduce the cost of shipping for whoever's going to buy it, I would like to put it in a small, uh, you know, USPS priority mail box. So it's like I'm trying to find millimeters because it's just right. The, the whole punch board is above the, the the size of the box and you want to get it small. And uh, I've never encountered this challenge before, but uh, the manufacturer is working great with me. But I just got off the phone with them and they are it's it's difficult because we're trying to find we're literally trying to find millimeters like well the usps box is this size the punch board has to be this size because you know you got to include bleed and you have to include margins and uh i don't know if uh the the listeners are aware of this but there's an actual cut of the punch board that has to go on the outside of the punch board uh to get the whole, you know, it's it's it cuts the entire punch board, and then you cut, you know, at the same time it cuts the inside tokens and so on. So that requires space and so on. So yeah, this is more of a manufacturer challenge, but yeah, we're, we're like scratching our heads, like ah, oh, I need like two millimeters. Where can I find two millimeters? What can I do? Yeah. Now, did you run into any other publishing challenges or manufacturing challenges that are kind of related to the game? Well. Um, some some things kind of like became uh, a blessing because uh, I was talking about the punch boards. So the original core game, the Safari Turbo, has five – it has six punch boards. Five of them are identical in cuts. Now, there is a cut that is a large circle, so it goes through all five. And two of those circles are going to go to one character called uh, Thundercloud. She's a water character, and that's you know she places that on the board, and th- different things happen. So two of them are going to go for her, and uh, so that leaves three uh, circles that, because of manufacturing, are getting cut out. And I didn't have any like use for them, and I'm like, I hate to to just have these three awesome size circle tokens in there, like. You get them in the game, and it's like, what do these do? Oh, there's nothing. There's there's no art on them. There's nothing going on. So I had to figure things out. And what what was great was uh, I came up with specialty tokens that are in the trading post. So in the trading post, you buy different game cards and things like that with the tokens you collected. 
uh, with the coins you collected along the road. But these specialty tokens are different things you can also they're not just cards. It's different things. Like you have a first aid kit. You have a toolkit to repair your vehicle. You have binoculars, things like that. And what's great about that is in the future expansions, now I can include them. So when you get the future, future expansions, you get five more characters with their Jeeps, with their shuffle cards, with their profile cards, all that. But you also get specialty items that you can add to your trading post for your for your core game. And that I never would have done that if it wasn't for the manufacturing process of, hey, uh, your punch board's going to be there and we have to punch, you need two circles, but we have to punch through all five punch boards, creating five, five circles. So it's like, wow, what do I do with the three? So that was interesting. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, and so circling back around to the board, kind of making the board a character, walk me through the design process there. Was this something you had from the beginning or is it kind of something that evolved along the way? Tell me more about that. Well, the board, I actually, um, I first did the track and see this all, this all started with, um, I had made a, a game for my son because it was one of those hurricanes that was here in Florida and the lights were out. And so he's like, Hey dad, make a game. So I made a quick game and I kind of left it there and then somebody saw it and then, Hey, this is pretty good. Let's play it. And then they told other people and other people and so on. And uh, Mitzi, who um, is my main muse, she helps me out with everything she has. She uh, bounces back ideas and so on. She, She's a teacher. And she said, hey, maybe we can do like a, a fundraiser at my school and so on. So I actually did a tournament with the game I had at her school. Um, that board gave me the start, uh, the ideas to do what eventually became Safari Turbo because that board wasn't, it looked like this one and it had certain things, but it wasn't exact. So I started there with that board. And then from uh, what I did was I, I actually drew uh, the whole land. I drew the volcano and the steep hill and so on. And then I turned it over to the, the people that really are a lot better than me at this. Uh, I got a couple of graphic designers and it's, it's interesting because the board was my biggest worry. I'm like, the board's got to be beautiful. This is not, like I said, this is not a product. It's just my childhood dream, and I want the board to look beautiful. But I don't know exactly what I want. I just want it to look good. So uh, this awesome uh, designer I had, uh, Dan Santiago, he would send me images of what I drew, and it was okay. Uh, but the road itself was like little... Uh, spaces cut out spaces they look like little rocks and i'm like oh that's not quite sh quite what i wanted and i was so worried it wasn't going to look good and one day he just sent it to me and it looked like wow this is exact a lot of it is not in your hands it's in the hands of the other people so uh, the people that really that really know but this board has been drawn I, I would say i have about six different versions of the board it's always been the same road but different things that happen in different areas um that's that's how the board became. But if it wasn't for uh, Dan Santiago, the board wouldn't look the way it looks. Yeah, I totally understand that. It's all about finding good people who are good at what they do and then bringing them on board to be part of the team, you know, because to fill the gaps. Right. I can I can only do so much. So I got to find other people that can do things a lot better than I can as far as graphic design or art and things like that. Definitely. And, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, I mentioned Dan, uh, <laughs> the illustrator that does the cards. I know some people are like, well, maybe you should get the same uh, illustrator and all that. I'm all about, is there fun in the game? Um, is the game fun? Is it, is it good? You know, I, you want the game to look good, but if I can get two illustrators and everything looks great, I'm good with that. But anyways, he would give me uh, character images that I thought were awesome. Like, for example, he gave me a character image of the Thundercloud uh, girl. So I originally I originally did her powers and abilities. I knew what she did. She did a Thundercloud, and uh, there's a downpour of rain everywhere. So it slows people down, and you can't go faster than a four. And that's what I originally had, and she can heal. So I told him what I wanted. Look, I want someone in the water doing this and, you know, all this stuff. He gives me this awesome picture. So now I got I'm looking at the picture and looking at what I wrote that she does, and I'm like, I gotta ramp this up. I mean, this is a great picture. She's got like a knife on her side. <laughs> I mean, and like 
she looks like so awesome that I had to. So sometimes the illustrators uh, cause you to change what you originally did because it, what you originally did is not as good as the image itself. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, you're going to pick this image. You're going to be like, wow, I want to be her. She looks awesome. And then you read what she does. That's it. That's all she does. You know, so uh, you have to uh, ramp up what the illustrators do sometimes. They're, they're just awesome people to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Omar, man, this has been really great. Uh, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or anything? Like, what would you say to somebody who maybe is listening to this, thinking about designing a racing game? What would you tell them? Um, ultimately, you have you need some control in the game. Like I said, you can't just um, uh, if if it's going to be roll and move or uh, cards or something with progression that's going to progress your vehicle. You have to have some kind of control. Ultimately, do the game that you want to do. You're going to have uh, critics, uh, difference of opinion. Like I said, with the uh, with a little robot character, one day people said he was too strong. The other day, they, he was too weak. Get the opinions of others, but it's ultimately you. I'd rather make a game that I really like, and uh, maybe 90% of the people liked it, rather than, you know, everybody likes it if it's done this way, but you're not happy with it. You know, everybody, uh, you, you might add house rules to different games that, that you play, and that's what I thought of when I did this game. When I f pretty much got to the end of this game, I said, if I were to play this game, would I add anything to it? Uh, actually, the, you'd be surprised. The answer was yes, uh, because you have these images of these six referees around the board, and they don't do anything. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to, if I were to play this game, get it off the shelf, I'd be like, okay, listen, if you land on a referee or if you do something, then this happens. So I'm like, let me just make it part of the game. Uh, I want to get to a point where I'm not adding any house rules. So, yeah, I eventually those referees became guardians and there's this whole thing where they teach you different lessons and so on. But do your own game. Get the opinions of other others. You're going to spend money doing this time, effort. Come up with something that that you like, a product that you really like. Uh, this game went way past my expectations. Um, I'm. The problem about trying to fulfill a childhood dream is those are big expectations. You know, you have to at least get to a certain level where you're like, yeah, I did it. And yeah, I, I passed that level. I'm, I'm more than happy with it. But do your own game. You know, be happy with what be with what you got. Awesome. Omar, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with uh, Safari Turbo and all the expansions and everything else you got going on right now. Thanks, Gabe. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?